0: Amen. You know, a lot of times, ladies, that hallelujah is like a yes, right? It's like a yes. Situated here. Thanks, everybody, for joining in in worship. Worship is such a special way to begin our morning, right? Hopefully maybe not with like Amber in your living room, but you know, hopefully, I wish. you start, yeah, you wish, <laughs> all right. come on over, i yep. <laughs> but hopefully in your mornings, however your mornings look, you know, they probably don't look like this, you know, you don't do Pilates on the beach for the sunrise every morning and things like that, good to have you out there this morning if you were there, but all the things we were doing here, it's probably not your normal morning routine, but whatever your morning routine is, I hope that it's worship. I hope there's worship involved in that because that's just a great way to start that morning off really with with a yes. Amen. So I also hope you got settled in last night. You had some good conversation with your roommate and that devotion and then also in the, you know, in that time you had with the Lord this morning, <coughs> praying through those prayer prompts in the um, Beatitudes, and I would encourage you to hang on to this. This is something that will be so useful. The more you uh, make those Beatitudes a part of your picture, your life, day by day, you can use these to pray for yourself. You can use these to pray for others. And certainly, like we talked last night, you can pull one out here and there. But when you take the time to work through the whole picture, It is such a picture of our salvation and of our walking day to day in our life with Christ. So I hope you'll keep that as a resource and continue to use it. Because it's all about, you know, that's one of the ways that we keep the words of Jesus, right? And we talked about that last night, keeping his words. And we're going to talk more about that as well in this gathering time. So to start, I want to ask you a question that I really want you to ask of yourself, okay? So here's what the question, simple question, who do I listen to? Who do I listen to? Now, before you start to answer that, I want to speak into it just for a moment, okay? So we're thinking about whose voice is getting our attention and making an impact on our life, and it's important to think about, yes, right now in this current season, but also in the Context of your whole life. Like, what are the voices that have had a big influence on you? And, and I want you to think probably bigger than you would just, you know, at face value. So, so let me speak into that. So, probably in your growing up years, right? Um, and even now to today, what your parents said, or maybe what they didn't say, had a big impact on you, and, the, and their voices shaped you your friends and your teachers maybe coaches that you had your siblings other family members perhaps their voices still echo in your ears at times or even you know with the relationship you have with them right now Um, if you work outside the home our bosses can have a big voice in our life our spouses can um, our church can have a really big voice in our life our pastor Christian leaders that we listen to and follow these days the voices on social media like they're always talking right they have they have a big voice in our lives and our own thoughts can really speak to us we, we talk to ourselves and we listen to ourselves a lot so there's a lot of voices to consider in that question but even beyond that Sometimes we listen to things, that, in reality, they don't even have a voice, but we give them a voice, right? Things like our experiences speak to us. Our circumstances, books that we read, <clears throat> desires can talk to us, memories and disappointments. Disappointments can be really loud voice in our minds sometimes. Victories, losses, all these things have a voice. So there's a lot to think about. So when we're thinking, who do I listen to, let's make sure we're considering all those kinds of voices. And to answer that question, what I want you to do is write down the three voices that you think have had or are having the most influence over your life. And there's a little box right there at the top of your page if you're using that note page for this session where you can write down those three voices. So take a moment to do that right now. It was who has a voice in really who do I listen to? Yeah. What voices are having that most impact? ask that question? Well, because Jesus knows how influenced we are by what we hear, by what we listen to, right? And based on what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, if we want to be kingdom of God women, well then Jesus' words need to have our greatest attention, right? They need to be making the biggest impact on our souls. And that's what Jesus is going to share with us today and talk to us about. So we're going to, Get this box up here, and we're going to look right inside of it. (coughs) There we go. Thank you, Julie. And one of the first things that we're going to find in this box is a little phrase. And it says this. You have heard, but I say. You have heard, but I say. Now, you might have noticed as you read and copied the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus speaks that phrase through one conversation after another in chapter 5. Six times, actually, he does that. He begins these conversations with, You have heard, but I say to you. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to briefly survey each one of those mini-conversations, is what I call them. And then we're going to look at all of them together as a whole. And then lastly, we're going to zoom in on two of them really um, with a lot more depth, okay? So let's get started in doing that. So Kelly Porter, we're going to ask you to share Matthew 5, 21 with us to get us started. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Yep, so that's what they had heard. Don't commit murder, and if you do, you're going to be liable before the court. And from what Jesus said, this understanding had been passed down from generations, right? Because it said, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And now that's become the common understanding of the day. But what does Jesus have to say about all that? Look with me in verse 22. He begins it with, but I say to you, okay? So there's that phrase. You have heard was in verse 21 but now in verse 22 he starts it with, but I say to you. So Kelly, what does he say in verse 22? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court and whoever says to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fire the <coughs> Yeah. So Jesus' words are pretty different from what they had heard, right? And his words definitely get right to the heart of the matter. The heart of where murder originates. And that's from anger, bless you, from pride, from violent words, and really that attitude of superiority. And he says, if these things are going on in your heart, well, you're already guilty, right? Right? Which I imagine implicated everybody in the room or on the mountain that day, right? And, and really probably implicates a lot of us. <laughs> it certainly does me. Because we've all been pridefully angry with somebody before, right? And all of us have even spoken prideful words in our hearts about somebody that we're angry with. And even further than that, most of us have probably spoken those words out loud, right? But as we read, Jesus doesn't even just stop there as if what he said was not already enough to make us kind of go, ooh, wow, you know? He continues on speaking about the effects of these strife-filled kinds of thoughts. See, long before the murder ever takes place, Jesus describes how these prideful thoughts can negatively affect so many things in our lives and for people around us. So let's look at that, too. So Susan, will you share just verse 23 with us? Therefore, if you are and there you remember that your brother has something against you. See, he's, he's talking about family relationships here, right? So anger, this prideful anger, it's going to affect family relationships. But he's also talking about our worship because he said if you're presenting your offering at the altar, right? And so we, we see that, that he's talking about those two things. So then let's go ahead and look at as well the next verse there. your What he's saying is that you're going to be really distracted in your worship. So your anger, that prideful anger that you've got, not only is it going to affect your relationship with your family members, your brother, and that could even be your brother in Christ, right? Your, your brother in, in the faith, but it also can affect your relationship to God because those impurities of heart are going to affect how you see Him. Remember last night. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So when we have that impurity in our heart, we can't see God in our worshiping. And Jesus knows that, so he's getting to the heart of the matter. And then he starts talking about business relationships, too. People that you've had dealings with and issues have developed. Cynthia, will you share verses 25 and 26 with us? What does he say? Yes, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way so that your opponent will not deliver you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Yeah. Now, I don't personally believe he's talking about a physical prison here, like where we're bound up in a jail cell. But more that if we don't deal with these situations going on in our heart, these situations of strife, We can become imprisoned in our own hearts. And we imprison others even as we do that. We become imprisoned in bitterness, in offense, in strife. And even our finances could become negatively affected, both our physical finances, but also the economy of our emotions, right? That can be really affected, and our thoughts. Now obviously, there's a whole lot of things that could be said here, but as we mentioned earlier, what we're doing, we're just going to survey these conversations right now briefly, so we're not going to get too deep into that. So that was the first one, relationships and strife. You heard, but this is what I say. And now the second time Jesus says, you've heard, but I say, it's going to be about relationships and sexual purity. So Kelly Connors, will you share verse 27 with us? Yes, you have heard that it was that you shall not commit adultery.
1: So that's what they had heard.
0: You shall not commit adultery, right? but then what did jesus say about that in verse 28. but i say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart see again what does jesus know about us he knows that we tend to focus on the behavioral act right the act of doing something like committing adultery all the mile all the while we miss the influence of what's going on in the heart before that act is ever committed And so Jesus is just shining a light on all of that. He's bringing that to revelation for them. And he says, but I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her, and ladies, that could be looks on a man, right, to lust for him. Or in this culture, it could be either one. Who knows what's going on these days, right? (laughs) They've already committed this sexual immorality, this adultery in their heart. And once again, how many in the crowd that day, and probably many of us in this room, we would have to bow our heads because I know I would. I've had lustful thoughts, right? And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that there's a a guilt with that. It's not just the behavior. It's what's going on in the heart. Now think about this. What they had heard, you shall not commit adultery, that came where? From God's law, right? I mean, that was was in the 10 commandments. In fact, these first two, you shall not murder, And you shall not commit adultery. They came directly from the Ten Commandments. And I imagine that many of these people on the mountain that day would have put God's law, like if they were making a list of the top three most influential voices in their life, that would have been because the law had a huge impact on the culture that day. But Jesus' words were shining a truth into that law that over the years, this law has become polluted with man's voiceover right? Saying it in their own way. See, remember in verse 17 when he said, don't think that I came to do what? To abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. This is one way he's fulfilling them, by getting to the heart of what God really meant when he said it in the first place. See, Jesus is speaking into these misperceptions that have developed over many years of what they had interpreted God's law to mean. And people with influence and authority had kind of painted their own picture. And, you know, over time that just gets more and more distorted. And so he's undoing all of these voices that have been speaking for all these generations through the prophets, through the religious leaders, through the scribes, and just even through just, you know, family and people that have influence in their lives. And he's bringing forth the truth and he's pretty serious about it. Like, are you catching the tone that he has? I mean, he's serious. Julie Pizzicello, will you share both verses 29 and 30 with us? And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Really? I mean, he's not playing, handsy. I mean, this is pretty serious stuff. And we might listen to that and go, is he like really serious? Like, like if my eye would cause me to lust or make me stumble or if I did something with my hand, would it be better for me really to just cut my hand off or tear my eye out? I don't personally think that Jesus is being literal here. I think there is a message. We'll speak into that in a moment. But just think about it. What's the context here, right? He's talking about sexual purity. And I would think he would have mentioned a different body part to cut off if he really meant it, right? He doesn't say that. So I don't think that's really what he meant, okay? All right. Just say, Okay. But let's keep our thoughts pure, ladies. All right. But here's the thing. What he is saying, I believe, is that we cannot play around with sin. We cannot be flippant about it. We have to be serious and intentional about dealing with sin. I think that's the heart of what he's talking about there. But let's continue on in our survey of this. Emily Bradley, will you share verse thirty-one with us? And it was said, "Whoever divorces his wife, let him give to her a certificate of this. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries So there's that. You have heard, right? You have heard that it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of dismissal. But then what did Jesus say? But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for one cause, and that would have been unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And then you commit adultery if you go and marry a divorced woman. That's what Jesus is saying. And when he says this about divorce, what he was really doing in that culture was turning the world upside down. For many who were seated there listening that day. Because he was shining a light on the evil manner in which divorce was being used. Because it was being used as a selfish way to just get rid of somebody when you were tired of them. When you didn't want them anymore for your own desires. And then what they did was they attached God's law to it. As if to say, this is good. This is what God wants. You know, just got to give her the certificate and say, sorry, we're done. You know, and and God would smile at that. How could they And yet they truly did. They thought that was a righteous thing to do. Jesus wouldn't have it. So he like called it out for exactly what it was. And I also believe that he was getting to the heart of how men were treating marriage and treating women. Because marriage, if you study marriage in scripture, it's all about the relationship of God and his people and how we as salt and light in the world, if we handle our marriages correctly and in light of God's truth, those things become literally a platform for the unconditional love of God to be displayed in the world. It's literally flavoring the world and lighting up the world. And yet all of this had become so perverted. As long as you would just hand her a certificate of dismissal, it would be fine in God's eyes. Jesus says, no. That's what they had heard, but that is not what God's law meant or said. God's law had a lot more to say about marriage than what they were thinking. And Jesus just shined his light all over that confusion. And it left many people sitting there that day with a very deep awareness of their sin. But let's keep going. Fourth conversation, starting in verse 33. Michaela, will you share just verse 33 with us? Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows, All right, so don't make false vows. This is what they heard, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But then, what does Jesus say about that? And so, Makala, I want you to share, and then Michelle Hunt, will you tell us what they say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I say to you, make no oath at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor nor by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Yeah. And then go ahead, Michelle Hunt, with the next two. Nor shall you take an oath by your head, where you cannot make one hair white or black, 37. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Yeah. So ladies, the wording of these verses can really vary depending on what <coughs> translation you read them in. And so some say oath, some say promises, some say swear. And there's a lot of variations of words, and because of the varied meanings of those words in our language, it can get really tricky to dig into that really deep, and again, we're just surveying. But without getting too deep, let me just say this. What Jesus is addressing here is the integrity of our hearts and of our words, all right? There was this law that had been passed down that we saw right there. Where it says, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But it had resulted in this behavior, as man's hearts were very sinful, that was not what God intended at all. Jesus is speaking into the integrity of their words. He's getting into the trustworthiness of who they are as people. Because here's what they were doing a lot of times they would take something that they were saying, say, they weren't real, you know, um, respected maybe or they didn't think that somebody would believe them and they would just attach God's name to it, right? So they would swear by heaven or they would swear by the temple or they, you know, to say this is really, this is really true. To us, maybe that might make more sense if we said, I swear on my grandmother's Bible, right? We hear that kind of thing. Or, or as God is my witness, I'm telling you, this is 100% true, so why do we say those kinds of things? Why did they say those kinds of things? You know, if, if something is true, do you really need to say it's 100% true? It's either true or it's not. But we have a tendency to do that. And what, what is the reason why we do that? I think that's what Jesus is really getting to. It's more than just the words that we say. It's about our integrity. And it's about God whom we live for. As kingdom people, we shouldn't have any need for oaths. We shouldn't have any need to embellish what we're saying with some kind of God's my witness, or I swear on my mother's Bible, or this is 100% true. What I say should be true, right? What God says is true. And if I'm made in his image, I am in his kingdom, I'm speaking and living and, and uh, you know doing my life for him, then what I say, my words need to hold integrity. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be found to be like, where is she? I don't even know what happened to her, right? You know, that kind of thing. I'm going to be a person of follow through. I'm going to mean what I say. I shouldn't have to embellish it. And certainly, as a kingdom person, I shouldn't be pulling God's name into it and smearing that, right? Trying to make my words seem more. I need to just be a person of integrity. That's what I believe he's really speaking about there. Kingdom people mean what they say. They follow through. They represent the faithfulness of God's word. But let's keep going because there are two more. Brittany, will you share just verse 38 with us? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, found in the law. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you're not familiar with that, it's the idea of, okay, you do that to me, I'm going to do it right back, right? You take this eye, I'm going to, you know, you take my eye, I'm going to take yours. You take my donkey, I'm taking your donkey, right? You hit my car, I'm going to hit your car, right? That kind of thing. You, you, you're angry at me, you say ugly words to me, I have the right now to say them back to you, okay? So it's that kind of thinking. And, it, and it's this justice that we all really long for, right? God's law addressed this. And it was passed down through the ages to that moment, even till now. And you know what? Because we do have that desire for justice, our human nature just went, whoo, I like that one, right? Mm-hmm. Eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, we say. But in reality, Jesus is speaking here and we find this law, it was never meant to be put into our hands as a personal you know, law that we enact and that we take care of at, at, at all. Jesus' fulfillment of the law really was that this was going to become a platform for his love to be put on display. I'll I'll explain that as we go. See, listen to what he says here. Brittany, share verse 39. And then Courtney, will you pick up with your verses too right after her? But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you under your cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Wow. Okay. He's, he's asking us to do a lot when somebody's been evil toward us in and, and, and in any way. I mean, you know, sometimes evil is just the way somebody looks at you, Like, right? You, you might think, well, what, what's up with them that day, you know? I mean, we can tend to have that pushback and that resistance to them. And Jesus is just saying, no, we're going to handle this very, very differently in my kingdom. And then let's just finish this survey right here. We're going to get back into these um, two later in a moment. But um, Emily Jatome, will you speak verse 43 for us? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your enemy, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So you know what, ladies? That one wasn't even found in the law at all. A lot of these were, but this one wasn't. Now, love your neighbor was found in the law, but hate your enemy, it wasn't in there at all. But somewhere along the way, it had been passed down as God's law. And the people actually thought it was to love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But it wasn't in there at all. Emily, what did Jesus say about it? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus says the complete opposite, right, (laughs) of what they had heard and were living in. And then he explains why even. Pam, will you share that with us in verses 45 to 47? For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you reach your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? How far they had gotten away, right? To where they just looked like everybody else. They weren't flavoring the earth, right? They weren't shining the glory of God's light in in the world. They had gotten so far from being distinguished as God's kingdom people. And it's not just them, but it's us too. Jesus is speaking to us today. So six times he says, you have heard, but I say. But here's the reality. He probably could have spoken that same phrase 60 times that day. Or maybe even 600 times or more. Addressing things that have been heard by the influential voices in the lives of all of us. And then we accept those things as truth, and we live in them, and we move in them, and we have our day-to-day being in them, and we share them with our children, and we share them with people around us, and and we begin to live as if things are true that are not true. And Jesus has very different things to say about them. See, I absolutely believe that Jesus could have brought up many, many, many things that day. Like, He could have gone one by one through the crowd, sat down on their blanket with them, and said, hey you know how you've heard this? Well, that's not true. Let me tell you what I have to say about that. And the same thing is true. Like he can come and sit right in that chair with you, Melinda, and he can say, hey, Melinda, you know how you've heard this? Well, let me speak into that because this is what I really have to say about that. And the reality is we've all listened, myself included, to voices that are not the voice of God. And sometimes we've even been told that they are. And because many times we've annulled God's word and we're not keeping his word, right? We don't know what the truth is. So we just follow along and we just go along with it. But as we draw near to Jesus, we need to know everything he says is truth. And as he speaks to us and as we take the time to really keep his words and listen to them and make them and do them in our lives, we can then begin to walk in the truth, right? See, every one of us needs to make this declaration over our lives. Yes, Jesus, I will listen to you, right? Yes, Jesus, I will listen to your voice. Not just alongside all these other voices. Not... These voices and your voice, Jesus, but Jesus, your voice over and above every other voice that's speaking now in my life, that has spoken to me in the past, that might speak to me in the future, your voice is always going to have preeminence in my life. And that, yes, ladies, that's a really big yes. It is a really big yes because it means we're going to give Jesus' voice more authority, more credibility more time, that's a big one, right, more time, give his voice more time, more affection, like you know how if, if somebody's calling your name that you know and you love, like you're quick to listen, like I have times that, you know, sometimes I get a call on my phone and I'm like, eh, I can wait for that later, but if it's like my husband that calls or my kids that call me, I mean, they've got my heart, right, so I'll, I'll drop whatever's going on to listen to them. And, and we've got to give Jesus' voice that kind of affection in our heart. We're going to give his voice more impact, more influence in our lives. When we say, Jesus, yes, your voice, your kingdom truth above everything else that I hear, it's a yes, ladies, that will literally turn your world upside down. It will turn your world upside down over and over and over again as he speaks into our lives. But what we'll also really find is that when we really start listening and we really start living in what he says, it really turns our life right side up, right? Because our lives already are upside down. His word is going to turn them right side up. And I believe that's what Jesus was really up to. When he spoke these six statements, when he made them, his overall goal was to transfer the lives of those before him to being upside down and broken to a place of blessing in his kingdom. So, yes, he spoke the truth of, of his kingdom into each individual and probably his words pierced, just like maybe this morning they're piercing us or as we copied them, we're like, whoa, whoa. You know, this, is, this gets into my heart. This gets into some of my life happenings and the things that I've been through, the choices that I've made. But throughout the whole of all of this, he's actually trying to bless us. He's actually trying to bring us into a place of being right side up and living in his kingdom. And what we're going to see now, we're going to turn from looking at each individual one as a, an individual conversation. I want us to look at all of them as a whole together and consider some things that Jesus was really up to. And what we're going to do is look in the box again, and we're going to find that Jesus is getting to the heart. He's getting to the heart by doing these things. So I'll let you take that too. Thank you. All right. So let's look at that. We're going to look at four consistent things that we see in all of the conversations as a whole. And the first one is this, that he was speaking to everyone. Everyone, all right? He was speaking to every single heart on the mountain, every heart in this room. And anybody that will ever hear these messages later, all right? He was speaking to everyone. How do we know that? Because he uses that word a lot. He uses that word a lot. And many times... Jesus spoke what they had heard with the word whoever. Like, for instance, in verse 21, it says, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder. But then what does he do? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother. Right? And so he would take it from whoever to everyone. And I think the point is he wanted everyone to know, I'm talking to you. Right? Because it's so easy for us to hear words from Jesus and go, oh, man, I wish so-and-so was here. They really need to hear this, right? (laughs) Oh, Jesus means that for my sister or my brother. Oh, my husband, he really needs to hear this, right? We all do that. We can dismiss ourselves so easily. Whoever leaves room for excusing yourself, right? But everyone includes every one of us. And the, the cool thing is when you copy scripture, when you memorize scripture, you see some of these things that you wouldn't see if you're just doing a quick readover of, of your Bible. You're going to get into it and go, wow, I've just written this word to everyone over and over. And you realize it's because he says it a lot. And I think that's intentional. He wanted every person to know, I'm talking to you. And he's doing that to each one of us today, everyone. See, in all of those you have heard, but I say to you conversations, he's speaking to everyone and he's doing something else too. This is number two. He's establishing guilt. He's establishing guilt, their need for a savior. And this applies to everyone. See, Jesus didn't tiptoe around anybody's feelings that day, right? Not at all. He jumped right into the guts of human existence and he started speaking into the raging anger in our hearts sometimes, the contempt, the hatred, the strife, the lust, the selfishness and manipulation and revenge and hate and how we treat our enemies and how we don't. I mean, he saw all of it. Remember we said that last night. He could see into our hearts and he saw it and so he spoke right into it and truth hurts. Then it stings and it's hard to hear, but what we have to also remember, he's not revealing guilt just to make us go, Oh, right, or to go, I should feel so ashamed of myself. Right? He's not shaking his finger in our face for that because how do we know he's not doing that? Because we already established last night, What's he doing? He, he's trying to say yes to us, he, he's trying to bless us. His aim is not to put us in a place of shame. Shame is not a place of blessing. And and Jesus is here to bless us. So he's not revealing the guilt of everyone's heart just to do that. He knows how much we need him. And he knows we need to see that too. We need to see, I am poor of spirit. So when he speaks, he speaks to everyone, Every heart revealing the guilt of every person. He goes past the outward behavior, past the perceived religious, righteous standard, and he goes to the heart. And that's number three specifically, all right? The heart. Do you see how he did that in every one of those conversations that we looked at? With murder, he went to the heart of what? Anger and pride and superiority and resentment. With adultery, he went to the heart of lust. With divorce, he went to the heart of being selfish. With integrity, he went to a heart of manipulation. Like you're trying to manipulate somebody's mind into thinking you're trustworthy by attaching some kind of embellishment on it, putting God's name. And that's really just deceitful because your heart really isn't got that integrity in it and you're trying to make it look like it does. So he's getting into the heart of all that. the relationships, the heart of offense, and the heart of bitterness, and the heart of vengeance. He mentions the behavior but he talks really about the heart because Jesus knows and he wants us to know that it is the heart that always drives the behavior. In my many years as a Christian, there's been a lot of them, in conversations about sin, so many times I've heard people say this, and I should say I've been known to say it too, all right? We say things like, but the Lord knows my heart. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? And really what we mean by that is Jesus sees the struggle of my sin, but he knows my heart's really pure. That's what we're, that's what we're trying to say, I think. Ladies, that's not true. That might be what we've heard. It might be what we've said. Jesus knows our hearts are wreck. He knows they are impoverished with sin. That's what he knows. And he wants us to know it too. Again, why? To make us you know, feel horrible about ourselves? No. He's already established his yes. To bless us he wants us to live in blessing so clearly that's not what he's doing what is he doing he's revealing the guilt of every single one of us in sin he aims to get to the heart of that because he wants to speak into the better way for us right his kingdom way but if we don't see our guilt we don't feel the sting of our guilt we're never going to see the wretchedness of our hearts when set alongside his truth. And we won't even know we need a savior, right? We won't know we need to listen to a better voice. And that answer of yes that needs to come out of our mouths is never going to come. So when he speaks, he speaks to everyone, and he reveals the wreckage in every single heart, the guilt that's in every one of our hearts. You know, we do people a a disservice when they are recognizing their sin and we talk them out of it and say, Oh, but Jesus knows your heart. He does know their heart and he knows their heart needs to be cleansed. Just like he knows our heart. We need to let people sit in the guilt of their sin, not for the, you know, making them feel guilty. Just like that's not Jesus aim for us. In our culture today, we so often quickly dismiss that from people because we care. Right. But we need to if we really understand the gospel people and we are those people have got to get to a place where we acknowledge the wretchedness of our condition so that we can see how beautiful our savior is. Right. It's always for our good. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit the ones they know, who know they need a Savior, right? Blessed are those who mourn. They mourn their sin, and they say, comfort me with better. Blessed are those who meekly trust Jesus as their Savior, right? They know they need a rescuer, so they lean into his everlasting arms, right? So that they can live in his perfect plan. And that's the fourth consideration here, perfect, right? That's number four. Did you catch that word in verse 48, the word perfect? perfect see listen to what jesus said in verse 48 after all those conversations lena will you share that with us therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect now in light of all that he just said in those conversations I mean, basically saying, you know, you're broken here. You got a really big mess here. I'm not sure what's going on there. But No, he is sure. We might not be sure what's going on in this part of your heart. You know, just one thing after another. And then he goes, and now you are to be perfect. <laughs> As your heavenly father is perfect. I mean, that could feel overwhelming. And that could feel like there's, there's no way. But remember what his yes is to us. Who is perfect? He is. And he came to be our perfection, to be our righteousness. See, he mentioned a similar thing like this over um, in verse 20. We looked at it last night where he said, unless your righteousness does what? Surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, now he's taking it past that. It's not just surpass. It's got to be what? Perfect. What is he doing again here? in saying these extreme things that seem impossible to achieve. He's creating a need on the inside of us for every person so that we'll see that need and we'll recognize, I can never meet that need on my own. Nothing I could do would ever get me to that place. Nobody else can get me to that place either. We can't meet that need, but he can. See, when we come to him, poor in spirit, mourning our sin, what does he do? He gives us his perfect righteousness. It's called the great exchange. I give him my poor in spirit heart and he gives me his perfect heart. That is the gospel. But we cannot minimize his standard. He's very clear here. His standard is perfection. Perfection. And it's a perfection that goes way beyond the external. It goes all the way into the heart. See, most of us have heard this. As long as your good stuff outweighs your bad, you'll be good with God. As long as the scales tip in your favor, you're going to be good. It's okay. Everything's fine. And we even say those kinds of things, maybe not directly, but the nuances of what we talk about sometimes and the way we talk about them present it like that. But Jesus, holy, righteous, and just would say, that's what you've heard. But what is actually required in my kingdom is perfection. And he provides it. He provides it. Now, in light of knowing that, perhaps our best response when faced with our sin is not Jesus knows my heart, right? It's, I know Jesus' heart, and his heart is perfect, and because I have received his salvation, mine is too. Hallelujah, right? That's my response. That should be what I have heard. It's a gift of his kingdom, and I just rest in that, right? I don't have to wrestle and try to be my best self for Jesus or for the church or for the kingdom of God. No, I rest in his righteousness, and as I do, he just begins to fill my life with that righteousness. It's not a straining and striving in my part. It's a rest in him. Now, it doesn't mean he wants to leave us as we are. He saves our spirits in a moment, right? He gives us his righteousness, but then he saves our souls over a lifetime, right? As we listen to his voice and we respond with yes over and over and over again through our life a thousand times. Yes. See, the point is here that Jesus is calling us to listen and then to respond. And I know that's obvious, but I want to make sure we don't miss it, okay? Because you're not going to find a verse here in chapter 5 that says, Jesus said, listen to my voice over and above every other voice you've ever heard but it's as clear as if he said that's what he's saying listen to my voice over and above every other voice you have ever heard he addresses one issue after another and he could have addressed more right so be very aware every time jesus speaks there is an invitation in the room for you to say yes he wants to Invite you into a new level of living in his blessings. And whenever an invitation is given from Jesus, I think it is worthy of a response, right? And what we don't realize is we are responding. We are responding. We're either saying no, we're annulling, like we talked about last night, or we are saying what, ladies? Yes. Yes, Jesus. Okay, I agree with you. So will your answer be yes? Yes, Jesus, I'm listening. Yes, I'm going to build my life on what you say. I'm going to seek out your words, and I'm going to give them my attention and my time. I'm going to put them above every other voice in my life. Now, I hope that is our response. Like, I hope it is. I want it to be in my life. I hope it is in yours. But I believe it's important to be transparent with you and say, When you make that yes, it's probably one of the most important yeses you will ever make in your life as a Christian, but it's also probably one of the most challenging yeses to say yes to that. See, in a setting like this, we're like, yes, yes. I'll say yes to Jesus' voice, right? but saying yes to his voice is not just a fall bible getaway moment right it's not a weekend yes it's a it's a yes that has to translate into every thought you have and every decision you make and every relationship you share and every habit you form and all of these different things his voice is literally going to flip your life right because what he says is often so different than what we've heard right and so the thing is, what he says is going to have preeminence. So that means I'm going to have to realign my emotions to what he says. I'm going to have to realign my decisions and my habits and my thoughts to what he says. And that takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. As I've been meditating on Jesus' words here over these many months, he's been speaking a lot to me about what does it really look like in our lives to say yes. Like, like, you know, it's one thing to say yes, but how does that translate, you know? What is the image of that in just day-to-day moments? And one of the things he spoke that just pierced me so much, and I, I just continue to meditate on it, and here's what it is. Yes doesn't mean you will try. Yes means you will. Yes doesn't mean you will try. Yes means you will. See, I think a lot of us, myself included, might think we're saying yes to Jesus, but the reality is we're really saying, I will try. I'll try to listen to you, Jesus, right? I'll try to give the Bible a voice in my life. I'm going to try to give your word preeminence over all the other things that I'm hearing. And, and there's good in trying. Don't, don't get me wrong. Trying's not a bad thing. But trying is not yes. They're two different things. In fact, what Jesus really showed me is that trying is an upside down yes, okay? Because trying implies I really haven't decided yet. I'm just kind of giving it a trial run, okay? It leaves room for me to back out if I don't like the way it feels, right? It it infers I may not have what it takes. Guess what? You don't. (laughs) What he's calling you to, perfection, you don't have what it takes. I don't either, but he does. The one who is trying is still in a wrestle. You're wrestling God for control. You're trying to take care of yourself and you're trying to manage your own life. You're trying to decide if what Jesus said is a good idea for you. You know what? If Jesus said it, ladies, it's a good idea. You don't have to wrestle through that. It's truth. And so you just go ahead and make the decision and you live in that. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, the ones who trust me for they will inherit the earth. Ladies, Jesus knows the best way. Trying is an upside-down yes. It's not a bad thing, but it's not yes. What Jesus is calling for is yes. So I want Cynthia to model for us for a moment. She's got a shirt on that's a little different than the rest of us. (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) So she's got an upside-down yes. So... i I want you to know how in the details god is thank you cynthia i want you to know how in the details god is so i had literally been sitting at my computer working on these messages and i was writing out what i had just shared with you and julie haynes who pressed all these shirts for us had called me or texted me. i can't remember exactly what the exchange was but she called and said, I feel so bad. I, I, I messed up one of the shirts. I accidentally put the yeses upside down. And I'm like, that's perfect. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it was on the same day. And I was just like, God, you're so in the details. And we will so use that shirt, right? But I think sometimes he wants to give us that visual, right? That we have that upright yes that we have that place in our hearts where we really are committed so we need to check our yes right and make sure it's really an upright yes it's not just a "Eh, maybe maybe I'll try are you really saying yes it's a confident commitment all right so what we're gonna do now we've surveyed we've looked at all the conversations as a whole and now we're gonna jump back into two of them and go a little bit deeper all right and it's the last two so let's review the conversations again. Starting in verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then he said, But I say to you, Do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Give to him the other also, right? And then he said, And whoever shall force you to go one mile, Go to. He said, Give to the one who asks from you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So, what does it look like to say yes to that? All right? I mean, what would that look like in day to day life? Because I imagine you hear those words of Jesus and immediately thoughts of people that we would normally give pushback to, right? That we would normally resist. And, you know, sometimes I think the enemy can take something and put it in such an extreme that we think, oh, I don't, I don't have any enemies, right? But think about people that you give pushback to in any way, in your mind, in your voice, in your attitude, right, that you just don't want in your life. They're, they're an enemy to you for some reason. Now, that could be for a very big reason. I mean, something they've really, really done that's been incredibly offensive and hurtful, or it could just be those day-to-day little fences, whatever, that you would normally just give pushback to. As we hear these words of Jesus, those, things, those people rise up in our minds, probably, and, and, and we think about them. And no doubt, the same thing was true, probably even more so for the people of that day, because each of these offenses that Jesus specifically mentions were very real in their day-to-day life, because the nation of Israel at that time was under the, an oppressive rule. In fact, they had been under an oppressive rule for over 600 years. If you think about that, think about how much longer that is than what America has even been, right? Mm -hmm. So they've been dealing with that. At this time, it was the Romans who were ruling over them. And so it was very common, say, for a tax collector to literally slap somebody across the face in the middle of a town square where everybody could see because they didn't have the money to pay their taxes. I mean, that kind of thing happened on a regular basis or that tax collector could sue them and take their shirt. Now their shirt was their like undergarment. So you're talking about personal things, like just taking them from them. Or say a group of Roman officials could just be passing by your family. You're sitting by the lake and you're, you're enjoying the Sabbath day, okay? They didn't, the Romans didn't You know, um, observe the Sabbath. They don't care and you're by the lake and you're enjoying lunch with your family and they're walking by and just because they're selfish and mean-spirited they could say pick up my bag and carry it back into town which was a mile away or they could say and give me your lunch too and they would have to do it so these things aren't real to us but they were very real to them we have different kinds of situations today that are real to us moments where people shame us right like slapping you across the face like this, or what does it look like to you in day-to-day life? Uh, where, Where precious things get stolen away from us, that can look like a lot of different things. People can just be downright selfish, right? And how many of us know when offenses like that take place, these people listening to Jesus and us here today, we can remember this law that says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? They did that to me, I'm going to do it right back because they wanted justice, and we all do, because God made us that way. I mean, he is a God of justice. We're made in his image, so we have that desire for justice. But in a broken world, things are not often right, right? They, they are not just. People do shame us, and they steal from us, and they wound us in their selfishness, big ways, little ways. And God knew that. So when he was bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt, And establishing them as a nation, he gave them laws to set them up as a people. And one of the laws that God did give, this was in the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it was never given to be taken personally into our own hearts and hands, to deal with in personal relationships. Actually, it was given to the judges so that they would rule the land. And in fact, I mentioned this earlier. Let me say a little bit more about this. Because we know the gospel truth now, right? We know about the sacrificial love and grace of Jesus who loved us and blessed us, right? When we shamed him, when we stole from him, and we have been selfish beyond belief, knowing that, I believe even when God gave that law, it was so that later that law would become a platform for his love, his glorious, unselfish love to be put on display. God gave that for that reason, I believe. So when he says, I say to you, don't resist him who is evil, he's not asking the people that day on the mountain or us either to do anything he wasn't going to do himself, right? He did the same thing. He's inviting us to come out of our broken ways and live in the kingdom and respond to evil and injustice the same way he does. I think he was clearly saying to them and to us, you've got to do this differently. This looks just like the world. There's no flavor in it. There's no light in it. We've got to learn to respond differently. You're light. You're salt. And I want you to respond to the people in the world with my agape love. Every one of us, we'll probably have stories of that shared this weekend, can think of people who've shamed us, who've stolen things from us, who've treated us with downright selfishness. We could all tell the stories. And our desire for justice creates that pushback, right? Big ways, little ways. We just want to resist those kind of people. And we have that retaliation that rises up within us. Well, I'm going to push back. And if you did that to me, I'm going to do it to you. That's our natural way. We're all wired like that. But Jesus is saying, you've heard that's okay. But I'm telling you, that's not the way we live here. That's not what my kingdom is about. Now, remember, we're just... A few moments ago, going, yes, Jesus, to your voice. This is what he's saying, right? Remember he said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And now the the way that he describes that purity of heart, that mercy, that peacemaking, is is mind-blowing. He's saying, if they slap this cheek, turn it. Give them the other one, right? If they want to steal this from you, offer them something else. That's precious to you if they selfishly are manipulating you to go this far well just be willing to go further in fact he's basically saying and he does live with an open heart and hands toward people even the ones who hurt you and it's hard to believe as we hear this I know it is for me and I always have to process especially if I'm in a place where I'm really dealing with something where I'm wanting to give that pushback to somebody I can read this and think, I cannot believe, Jesus, that you would even ask me to do such a thing. Or that you would ask the people then, like, they were really under it. Like, they were really going through it. I, I can't believe you would even ask that of them. Like, we might say back to Jesus, do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said? Did you see it? He did. He did. Right, But we have these conversations. We might even in this day, because this has become such a buzzword in our culture, do you know how toxic they are, Jesus? Right? (laughs) Somehow in our culture, and we're even teaching it in the church a lot, that if somebody is toxic, that's what we're hearing, it's okay to put them in a category where they're over there. You don't have to let any of this apply. That is what you've heard. That is not the truth of what Jesus says. And we might think, there's no way I can say yes to that. But you know what? Jesus does know what people have done. And he does know what they've said. And he does know how toxic their hearts are. He doesn't have to be sitting in front of us on a mountain to see us, right? He sees into the heart of every person. He knows how toxic our hearts were at one time, right? He knows how shameful and, and, and miserable and you know, evil we were. But he still calls us into living in his kingdom way see keep listening when he continues starting in verse 43 he says you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven And he says something here. He says, For he causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And you might remember earlier I told you, that was not in the law. The you shall love your neighbor was, hating your enemies was not. But somewhere along the way, amidst the oppression, and we can understand how this could happen, right? When we understand the oppression they were under. Amidst that oppression and that hurt and that desire for justice, this idea somehow of hating your enemies had become known as God's law. And the people literally believed it was. And when you hear something enough, and you hear it repeated enough, long enough, you begin to live as if it's true, even if it's not. Which is why Jesus says here in verse 44 But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Doing that can feel impossible, but it is not. It isn't. It's challenging, absolutely no doubt, and it will never make sense in our justice-seeking hearts. So we just need to give that up. You need to give up, make it making sense. Does it make sense for Jesus to have to hang on the cross? <laughs> you know, the God of the universe, perfect and holy, to do none of that makes sense. But when we look at that and we experience the, the gospel ourselves and we live in that and, and, and center ourselves in the gospel in that way and the gospel's all about his agape love, it makes perfect sense to lean in and trust what he says. See, look at the word love here because what he says is, I say love your enemy. The English language and the language of the Bible are very different in the way they handle the word love english uses one word for love to communicate many different things like love can be preference i love pumpkin spice right or it can be enjoyment oh i love the beach or it can be affection right oh i just love you and we hug somebody or you know loyalty or warm fuzzy feelings these are all very different things but in english we just lump them all together in one word But in the original language of the Bible, love is not handled like that. There's actually three different words that mean very different things. And so because of that, it's very easy for us to get the wrong idea of what Jesus is even asking us to do when he says for us to love our enemies. When he says love your enemies here, he uses the word agape. And agape love is a description of God's love for his people. And that love is expressed in two ways. And that's the two things that we need to grab hold of as we hear his words to us. It's expressed in attitude and it's expressed in action. Agape love is an attitude that sees every person as valuable because they have the imago Dei on them. They are made in the image of God, all right? But it's also an action, an action that chooses to bless, to bestow blessing. See, when Jesus says love your enemies, he's saying your attitude about your enemies, your attitude about people who treat you in evil ways should always be one of value because they are created in my image. All right? And your action should always be one of blessing because that's what he chooses to do. What did it say there in verse 45? He chooses to send rain on the evil and the good, right? He chooses to send, you know, um, sunshine on the evil and the good. He does that for all of us. But he's not telling us that we have to have warm, fuzzy feelings of affection for our enemies. It doesn't say that he does. It doesn't say that he likes his enemies. I don't have to like my enemy, but I need to see my enemy as valuable. I need to see them in a way that I'm going to choose to bless them because that's what my father would do. That's being a peacemaker, right? And then I'm known as a child of God, which is exactly what it says. He says, when you love your neighbor and pray for your enemies, you will be called sons of God because you're living in that family way. I heard somebody put it like this recently, and I love this, it says, he said, Jesus is not telling us to be a doormat. He is, telling, he is calling us to be a doorkeeper. There's a big difference. See, many times as Christians, we've heard things that convey, just lay down your rights and let people walk all over you, right? And it feels like that when you read the scripture, you're like, well, goodness. You just want me to be a doormat, Jesus. But then go back to the beginning of the sermon. Is a doormat a place of blessing? That's not what he's calling us to. Think about a doormat. What does a doormat do? It lays on the ground, right? It's placed outside the house. It's vulnerable to all the elements. It's walked on, rarely ever even noticed or attended to. And it's used over and over and over and over and over again for people to just wipe the scum of their feet on it, right? I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to be I mean I can't read the rest of this sermon and see it like that and I don't think that's his intent because I think what his intent is is for us to be doorkeepers see a doorkeeper is inside the house right they are protected they're cared for they're provided for they're distinguished They're privileged, they've been given a place of authority. They have the authority to open the door and invite people in to the goodness of God. And that's who God tells us that we are. See, what Jesus, I believe, is saying is that when you take the offenses of others and look at them instead as horrible things that are happening to you, they are opportunities for you to turn them into a way to invite people in the kingdom of God because when you open that door like light just starts flying out that door like salt and flavors like because people don't expect that because we need to live different Jesus said right here in verses 46 47 if you like you know love those who love you you're just like the people around you you're no different you're not salt you're not light in that if you greet only people who greet you have you ever heard the my? well they don't talk to me they don't talk to me I don't talk to them That's what the world does. That's what people outside the house, that's how they live. There was a moment when somebody, probably most of us can think who that person was, opened the door for us so we could find that grace and forgiveness, right? Jesus himself did it, even if you can't think of anybody specifically on this earth. And he's asking us to get involved in his work and do that. And these moments are literally opportunities for you to throw that door wide open. Instead, so many times we slam the door, right? And, and we're like, this is just for me. Or you don't have a right to be here because. And Jesus is saying that's not, how it, that's not how it works in the kingdom. Now, I've had to wrestle with this all myself. And I know that all of us have to. And it's easy to even go, okay, yeah, that does make sense. But when you get your emotions involved and you're in the moment, then there's that real opportunity that you've got to decide what am i going to do with this and it all goes back to am i saying yes to my voice to my feelings to my experiences even to the people around us sometimes our christian friends who are going i'd be mad too i'd let her have it right we need to become cheerleaders to be doorkeepers we do we need to be that voice to our sister that says yeah but you know what i think you should open the door here i know how it feels to you and love them through that." But I think Jesus would have you to open the door and start going rah, rah, rah. Yes, yes, yes. Let's listen to Jesus' voice. Do you know how we could light up the world? Do you know how we could flavor this world if the 54 of us in this room started living like that? It would change the scope of the places where we live and do life every single day. Being a doormat is a passive place. It's a passive place. Being a doorkeeper is a place of authority. And Jesus has given us that, to operate in the authority of his divine agape love. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of blessing. See, remember... You know what i got ahead of my i started preaching and jesus had stopped for the inside all right so here we go love your enemies that was supposed to be coming out of the box we've been eating it i just didn't show it to you wow got, got ahead of myself and i just talked to you about the salt and the light julie's sitting there are you ever going to get anything out of the box all right Salt and light like we just said those things will become who we are when we are living in those ways But the main thing I want to finish with here is the gate. giving you lots to do right here. Actually, we're not going to finish with it. We've got one more. (laughs) The main thing is the gate. See, when we live like that, when you choose to live loving and blessing your enemies, what are you doing? You're choosing to walk through an arrow gate. You're making a choice. It's not going to be that you feel like doing it rarely will it ever be like that I haven't gotten to that place I mean I've been trying to live this way with an open heart for about three years ago the Lord really spoke to me in a a powerful way about living with an open heart and hand and that's something I've been really trying to walk in for the last three years and and it it, it rarely ever feels good I'll tell you it just doesn't but getting into this word more I've seen it more now as being that doorkeeper and I know that's not going to feel good either you know, So we have to wrestle through those things. But it is a walking through the narrow gate. And it's hard to find that gate. Because most people are going to live walking through the wide gate. If they did this to me, I'm going to do it right back. Or I'm going to give them pushback and not have them in my life at all. Or you know, And we do have to wrestle through because there are big situations. And I know some of you have dealt with really big things where people have done horrific things in your life or even are. And so you've got to, you, you know, it's never going to look the same. That's why we walk with the Holy Spirit. And we wonder, how is he going to have me to do this? Or what would that even look like? You're going to have to talk to him about that. Many times, I believe, the how of doing it is going to come on the heels of your guests. He's not going to tell you how to do it until you've decided you are going to do it. And then he'll show you what the plan is. And then you just start walking in that. It's a narrow gate. Most people won't choose it. Most people won't. Will you be someone who does? Who says, yes, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to bless my enemies. I'm going to pray for my enemies. Tomorrow morning in our devotion, that same way that you prayed through the um, the Beatitudes for yourself today, they're worded a little differently. They're going to be an encouragement for you to pray for one of your enemies. See, it's more than just praying, oh, Jesus, bless Mm so-and-so. I won't give a name because, you know. But it's more than that. It's literally praying the goodness of God, those same things that have been given to you. And it is a gospel that calls us to a, a really heavy thing to carry. Big ways, little ways. We will love and bless that person. That's how we are that doorkeeper. And we walk through that narrow gate. And here's the thing when you walk through the narrow gate in that way, you cannot take your bitterness with you. It's too narrow, it won't fit. Have you ever gone through a narrow passageway and, like, you're trying, maybe you were moving into a house and you had a couch that, and you know, it didn't matter how you turn that couch, it was not going through that door. When you go through the narrow gate, What Jesus has shared with us this morning is that your bitterness, your offense, your hurt, your vengeance, all of that, none of it fits through the gate. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to decide, am I going to be willing to leave that behind? And the beautiful thing is, once again, just like we said last night, when you get inside, it feels so horrible to leave that behind because you feel like I have a right to feel that way, right? Right? But when you leave it behind, there's such freedom, there's such life, there's such beauty and blessing, not just for you, but for other people as well. Jesus speaks truth, doesn't he? He speaks truth right to our hearts. And today we heard him talk about many things. And my prayer is that you will say yes. Jesus, your voice above all others. And here's the last thing that he's going to show us out of the box this morning, and that is the rock. The rock it's what happens when we say yes see the rock shows us where kingdom people build every time you say yes to jesus voice it's like building your life on the rock it's like a brick i like to say every yes is a brick okay that you're building your life the last verses of this chapter or this sermon talk about the person it it actually uses the word everyone It says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And every yes is a brick. Every yes matters. Ladies, the rock is Jesus. And every yes to his voice is like that brick being laid one on top of another, brick by brick, day by day, building your life on the rock of Jesus. It's a blessed life that lasts in his kingdom. So I want you to say something with me, okay? Brick by brick, three lines I'm going to give you. Brick by brick, day by day, building his story. Say that with me. Brick by brick, day by day, building his story. Say that again. Brick by brick, day by day, building his story. Now I'm going to give you three more lines. Grace to grace, strength to strength, All for his glory. Say those. Grace to grace, strength to strength, all for his glory. We get his strength, right? Let's say all six of the lines together, all right? Brick by brick, day by day, building his story. Grace to grace, strength to strength, all for his glory. Brick. this sounded good. This sounded good? I, I, I'm all for a chant, but I feel like maybe you could use a little rhythm. OK. Maybe we maybe just add a little chanting here. So okay. <laughs> just play with me. OK, so maybe okay. like, break by break, day by day, building your story. Grace to grace, strength to strength, all for your glory. Break by I like brick, it, right? day by day. Building your story grace to grace strength to strength all for Let's your stand up like and sing your glory brick by brick. brick stand up day by day building your story grace to grace strength, strength. to strength all for your glory yeah, I like it.